Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church, located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make him known. The Old Testament lesson for today is from Isaiah chapter 30, verses 18 through 26. This can be found on page 702 of your Pew Bible. While the nation of Israel suffers under God's discipline, the prophet Isaiah brings a message to the people of God's desire to restore them to relationship with him. A reading from Isaiah chapter 30, beginning with the 18th verse. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. For a people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. Then you will defile your carved idols overlaid with silver and your gold-plated metal images. You will scatter them as unclean things. You will say to them, be gone. And he will give rain for the seed with which you sow the ground and bread the produce of the ground, which will be rich and plenteous. In that day, your livestock will graze in large pastures and the oxen and the donkeys that work the ground will eat seasoned fodder, which has been winnowed with shovel and fork. And on every lofty mountain and every high hill, there will be brooks running with water in the day of the great slaughter when the towers fall. Moreover, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun will be sevenfold as the light of seven days. In the day when the Lord binds up the brokenness of his people and heal the wounds inflicted by his blow. A reading from Isaiah. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Is our nation on the right track or the wrong track? This is a question pollsters have been asking in recent years. Maybe you've seen the headlines. The responses are not good. Is our nation on the right track or the wrong track? The most recent one I could find this week said, that 74% of respondents said our nation is on the wrong track. I was thinking about that as I was preparing for this sermon because here we find the nation of Israel in the Bible that has clearly gone off the rails. It's not on the right track. So the question is, how does God respond to that? What's What's God's correction for any nation that is on the wrong track? This is really what the prophet Isaiah was inquiring of the Lord. We're looking at this one uh, passage from Isaiah, but the whole book that he offered 
was like a message from God. He had this portal, this window into the heavenlies where he could hear God's opinion on things. And I want you to turn with me way back to Isaiah chapter 1. I know that wasn't part of the reading that Amanda just did for us. But I want you to see the context of what Isaiah is offering to the world. If you have your Bible open, flip it back to Isaiah chapter 1. It really, in some sense, begins with Isaiah asking God, Okay, Lord, how are we doing as a nation? Are we on the right track or the wrong track? Let's find out what God had to say. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Survey results are in. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, the docky its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation. How are we doing so far? Do you think God's saying we're on the right track or the wrong? Ah, sinful nation. A people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They've despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. It go, I'll stop there. It, go, it gets worse. <laughs> Welcome to Stanwich Church, another topic of judgment, um, God's judgment upon the nation. Uh, the, the promises do come here in a couple minutes, I, I, I assure you of that. So what's going on in the nation? Why is God's judgment, why is God's opinion that clearly they're off the rails, they're on the wrong track? Well, this is what we call the period of exile when the neighboring enemies of Israel had come in and conquered their regions. Uh, but on a heart level, the Israelites had done something far worse than just losing their territory. They had begun worshiping the idols of the very nation's gods who had conquered them. Baal and Asherah and Moloch, these gods of Babylon and Assyria, the people of God had carved for themselves idols. We're going to hear about that in a couple of minutes. And they'd placed them on the pedestals of their home, asking them to deliver them. Can you imagine that? The very false gods that were conquering them, the people's hearts had turned to worship them. And God gives his answer to the question, are we on the right track or wrong track, saying, my children have rebelled against me. God judges his people through Isaiah. Now that makes us a little bit uncomfortable, doesn't it? Being judged. Nobody likes being judged. I was at a, an event at my kid's school yesterday morning, and there's people of all ages, and I, this, this gaggle of middle school girls walked in front of me. And I happened to overhear one say to the other, she said, Oh, you're so judgmental. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I'm going to use that in the sermon tomorrow. Because it's just descriptive of how any of us feels when we feel judged. You know, like, don't judge me. Um, but here we are in this text in Isaiah chapter 30 where God is judging the nation. Here's what we have to understand. When God judges us, unlike when human beings judge us, when God judges us, his judgments are for us, not against us. He has righteous, pure judgment. And his judgment of us is always corrective and his aim is to restore us into relationship with him. He's trying to get us back on the right track. That's why he judges us, to correct us, as we're going to see. It's all about relationship. Look with me now at Isaiah 30, verse 18, where Amanda began reading. We begin to see some of this relational aspect of his corrective judgment. 
Isaiah 30, verse 18. Therefore, it says, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. I'm going to stop right there. The Lord waits to be gracious to you. The original hearers of this might have thought, well, what's he waiting so long for? Because they were dealing with a really terrible situation. The nation had been besieged by the enemies. There was poverty everywhere. Things were completely off the rails. And Isaiah comes out and he says, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And sometimes we think about waiting as this passive thing, like go sit on that couch over there and wait. Go bide your time. But that's not what the word wait means here. Think of it this way. The Lord waits to be gracious to you. Think of, think of a, a waiter in a really nice restaurant. You're sitting at the table, and there's that waiter, there's that server in the corner. And he's standing there, and he's waiting for you to fold up your menu and put it on the table so he can eagerly come over to the table and serve you. And he goes back to his corner, and he waits and he waits for you to finish your plate so that he can come over and deliver the dirty dish to the sink in the back. That's a waiter, a server. That's what I think the picture is here that God wants us to see. The Lord waits to be gracious to you. He's eager to get in a relationship with you, to come back to the table with you. He's waiting on us. He's serving us to be gracious to us. Therefore, continuing in verse 18, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Justice will come to this crooked nation. He is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. This nice little couplet right here. He's waiting for us, and we are blessed when we wait for him. It's this coming together at the table. This is, his judgments are for us. It's to restore this relationship, to get back in proximity with one another, in loving proximity. God judges us, and he is for us. And I want to just quickly explain what happens next in the text because he is going to offer his correction. But he's going to wrap that correction in these beautiful promises. This is what Bible scholars call a chiasm or a chiastic structure. Uh, I'll just put it in more simple terms. It's like a sandwich. We've seen this before in the scripture where it's sort of like when you give someone a compliment sandwich, you're doing great, here's what you need to fix, and I love you. You know, there's like a sandwich. God gives us one of these sandwiches right here. He begins and ends with promises, beautiful promises of what he's going to do to restore us. But in the middle, in the meat, there's some real correction that we need to hear. We'll get to that, but I first want to show you the promises in verse 19 and verse 26, the beginning and the end of the chiasm. Here's the first one, verse 19. For a people shall dwell in Zion... In Jerusalem, you shall weep no more. See, the people had been scattered from Jerusalem, this promised land that he had given to his people. And then they were scattered by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And God promises them, I will restore you. I'll bring you home. There will be a time when the weeping is no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. That's the beginning promise, and he ends in verse 26 with another promise. Moreover, verse 26, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun. The light of the sun will be sevenfold as the light of seven days in the Lord, in the day the Lord binds up the brokenness of his people and heals the wounds inflicted by his blow. There's this promise of the coming light. I wonder if the people were saying to each other during this time, these are dark days in our nation. 
So before God gives this corrective piece in the middle, he says, the light will shine once again. The dark days will be over. The light of the sun will be sevenfold. You can't imagine it. In the day when the Lord binds up the brokenness of his people and heals the wounds inflicted by his blow. You see, that's the blow of his judgment, of his righteous wrath on his people. That makes us uncomfortable, but it's appropriate for God to do. After all, he's God. He says, there will come a time when that I will heal all that is broken. So those are the promises on the outside of the sandwich. And I want to, before we even get into the corrective part in the middle, I want to just rest in this for a moment. This realization that God wants relationship with us. When we've gone off the rails, usually we're not thinking right, and therefore we're not acting right. And when we realize we've gone off the rails, we can sometimes say to ourselves in our understanding of God, we'll say, God wants me to believe. God wants me to behave. And we can walk around saying that to ourselves, and it's true. God wants us to believe rightly, and he wants us to behave rightly. But I would encourage you, if you're saying that to yourself, God wants me to behave, just lop off those last two words for a minute and just say to yourself, you know what? God wants me. Yes, he wants you to believe rightly. Yes, he wants you to behave correctly. But he really wants you. Have any of you had wayward children? Oh, I heard a couple of responses there. When your kids go off the rails, when they're not thinking right, when they're not acting right, they might be out there in the world somewhere going, Mom and Dad want me to behave. But what are you thinking? You're saying, I just want my son back. I just want my daughter home. Like Lauren sang so beautifully during the offertory, he wants sons and daughters who know the voice of Father. We're going to get to the belief and the behavior in just a minute, but just maybe there's somebody who came here today that's all you need to hear. God wants you. He wants you to come home. Because you know what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, it says, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. That's a quote from Proverbs. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. That's why he's judging the nation through Isaiah. It's out of a place of discipline. You only discipline a child that you love. By his blow, that phrase at the end of verse 26, that's the blow of his discipline, his judgment. He's doing it to get us back on track. So now let's get to the meat of the sandwich. Let's get this corrective thinking. Now that we know God's motivation is entirely out of love and entirely out of relationship, let's hear what he has to say to correct us, okay? If it's true, 74% of the people say our nation's gone off track. We need this correction. What does he give it? Verse 20. Though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction. I'll stop right there because these are really descriptive images. The bread of adversity. Yeah, the people were feeling adversity. The water of affliction. They were feeling afflicted by their enemies. But look again with me at this phrase. The Lord give you 
the bread of adversity and the water of affliction. This is hard to hear, isn't it? Wait a minute, the Lord gave the nation the affliction and the adversity that they were suffering under? Maybe we say to ourselves sometimes, I only believe in a God who blesses me with nice things. But sometimes God gives us adversity. Sometimes God gives us affliction. Or we say, I don't believe in a God who would judge me. Well, you judge people. You've reserved a right for yourself that you didn't give to God. God judges to correct us, and sometimes he allows us adversity, and he allows us affliction. There's a phrase in, um, in AA that I'm reminded of. I've, I've heard it from some people who've gone through AA, and this is a phrase that might be helpful for us, and it's called the gift of desperation. You heard this, the gift of desperation. When the affliction or the adversity gets so hard that you finally say, I'm desperate. Lord, I need you. Will you rescue me? And I believe that here in the history of the nation of Israel, things had gotten so bad, their hearts had turned so much to these idols that God loved them enough to let them suffer through some adversity and some affliction so that they, may, they might experience the gift of desperation and turn their hearts back towards him. This is a hard thing to hear. See why it was wrapped in the promises sandwich? This is a hard truth. God loves us enough. He disciplines those whom he loves. He allows us to go through affliction and adversity to turn our hearts back towards him. How does he get us there in the adversity, in the desperate times? Yet your teacher, it says, will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. What's Isaiah talking about here? The people, they weren't listening. Who's Isaiah talking about? You can see the ESV translators put a capital T on it. They're probably thinking Isaiah was pointing forward towards the Holy Spirit who guides us when, we're gone, when we've gone off the rails. He can prompt us to get back on track. But Isaiah may have been talking about himself here because he was saying for years the hard truths that the nation really needed to hear. He had been repeating it over and over again, and there they went, off to their idolatry. And so he's saying there's going to come a time when the gift of desperation is going to get you so much that you're finally going to unstop your ears and open your eyes to hear and see what God is trying to tell you through my words. And you'll finally be able to hear it. Now, in the New Testament era, we know that it's appropriate we would capitalize the T because we say we need this correction. When we go to the right or when we go to the left, we need the Holy Spirit saying, us, no, 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 this is the way, walk in it as it says in verse 20. We need the Holy Spirit to prompt us. We need Jesus to guide us as our teacher, as our rabbi. We need the word of God to correct our thinking, to believe rightly once again. Because if you're anything like me, it's basically a weekly activity that you go off the rails, that you are going on the wrong track. So we come back to the teacher to correct our beliefs. And look what happens when our beliefs are corrected our behaviors follow as a result. That's what happens here. Verse 21. Your ears shall hear it behind you. This is the, sorry, verse 22. Then you will defile your carved idols overlaid with silver and your gold-plated metal images. You will scatter them as unclean things. You'll say to them, be gone. 
This verse is the middle of the chiasm right here. This is really the punchline of what Isaiah is trying to get at. Our behaviors, when we look again at the idols, the things that we've been worshiping, the things we've been putting our hope in, once we realize this corrective new way of thinking that only God can give us, we look back at our idols and we say, get out of here, I don't need you. And we wipe them off the pedestal that we've maybe placed them on in our hearts. What, what is an idol? I got this great insight this week that is instructive for all of us. I was at the Bridgeport Rescue Mission on Wednesday morning, leading their chapel. There's about 55 people in the chapel, residents of Bridgeport Rescue Mission, people who've come out of homelessness, and they're living in the mission. And um, I did what I often do. If I know I'm preaching a text in the coming week, I'll just use it when I go around to the various other commitments that I have. And we opened up Isaiah 30, 18 to 26, which is our text for today. And we just read it together with the residents. And I asked the Holy Spirit to reveal to anybody what lines are leaping off the page for you. It's what we normally do in Bible study. And this one woman, she had this insight about these carved idols painted with gold. She was thinking about them. She stood up and she shared, she said, yeah, they, they have these carved idols carved out of wood, but then the people painted them with gold. And she said, I've been thinking about that. They, they spent their hard-earned money on gold to paint onto a little piece of wood so that they could bow down to it and ask this idol to do for them what only God can do. And she said, that's how I know when I have an idol in my life. It's where I spend my resources on, thinking that thing will do for me what only God can do. Only God can save us, so why am I spending my resources on something that can't? That's an idol in my life. She, shared, she used slightly different words, but that's what she said. And she stood up and she said that, and I said, that would preach. <laughs> I said, I'm going to use that this Sunday. That woman will be here next Sunday for uh, Missions Week. You can meet her. It's a great biblical insight that she gave. They painted gold onto these carved images. And I wonder if the Holy Spirit could reveal to us right now in this moment, what are those things, those idols in our lives, that we devote time and energy and resources to thinking they will do for us what only God can do? And if God corrects our thinking... If he reveals himself, it says he exalts himself to show mercy to us. If we see him exalted high and seated upon the throne, if we see him as the one true king of kings and lord of lords, the leader of every nation and the leader of our hearts, if we can behold him seated there, then we turn back to our idols, the things that we've been putting our hope in, and we say, be gone. Get out of my life. I don't need these idols anymore. I have God. So he corrects our beliefs, and then he corrects our behaviors, we get rid of our idols. You feel a little corrected by the Holy Spirit now? I know I do. But he, he ends it with a promise, and I want us to end with a promise as well. I'm going to read it again, the second part of verse 26. In the day when the Lord binds up the brokenness of his people and heals the wounds inflicted, by his blow. What Isaiah couldn't have seen is something that John would show us in his portal into heaven, in the book of Revelation, 
when we get to see Jesus in the last days binding up all that's broken personally, wiping away every tear from every eye. And there's a difference between what we see in the Revelation promise and what we see in the Isaiah promise, because here in Isaiah, he heals the wounds inflicted by his blow. But what we know from the Gospels, from the New Testament, is that when Jesus heals our wounds, when we get to glory and be with him forever, he will show the scars of having received the blow that we deserve, the judgment that makes us feel uncomfortable, the judgment that we deserve. Jesus went to the cross to receive That's why he can heal us in eternity. This is a very personal thing because I think often when we click that button, is the nation on the right track or the wrong track? If we say wrong track, we're probably thinking about those other people who are leading our country astray. Be honest with me. That's why you click that button, right? We don't say, Lord, I'm on the wrong track. I have put idols on the pedestal of my heart. I've put my time and resources and energy into things that I think can do for me what only you can do for me. Save me, Lord. That's how our nation begins to change. It begins with us. That's why we come to the communion table every day, every Sunday. And as we come to this table in just a moment, I want you to think about that waiter in the corner of the restaurant again. Look again at that server who waits to be gracious to you. For that waiter is Christ himself. And he's prepared a table for us. And he waits with eager expectation and hope that you'll come to the table, that you'll come home. God the Father just wants his children back. He waits for us. And as it also says in that same verse, blessed are we when we wait for him. So let's meet him at his table of grace. Amen. To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit stanwichchurch.org.